0: Welcome to the show, everyone. Another Friday, another episode of Why Are We Bullish. Happy to be back this week. We had a little hiatus last week because I was in Miami experiencing the excitement of the Bitcoin 2022 conference. We talked a little bit about that in the new show yesterday, and uh, we've got a whole new panel of brand new guests this week, Um, and I'm very excited to have them all on. Uh, As always, please do like, subscribe, share. All that stuff is super important, gets us in front of more eyeballs. Uh, This is live, anything can happen. So I defer to my friend, Bill here.
1: We'll do it live. Okay. We'll do it live, (laughs) Fuck it. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. (laughs) And thing sucks.
0: Once again, like, subscribe, share all that good stuff. I am Ben with the BTC sessions. This is your daily session.
2: Bitcoin.
0: All right. Before we bring in our panel, let's take a quick look at where we are in the market right now. This is the Bitbo.io dashboard. We're sitting at forty thousand four hundred and some odd dollars per coin. Single U.S. dollar will grab you two thousand four hundred and seventy-five sats. 90.54% of all bitcoin have been mined and in terms of fees uh, 6 sats per byte will get you into the next block and anything beyond that 1 sat per byte should do you. Quick shout out to sponsor of the show shakepay.com if you're in bitcoin, if you're in Canada rather buying bitcoin this is a super easy way to do it uh, e-transfers no deposit fees, no withdrawal fees, thin spread. Uh, if you use the link down below, after your first $100 purchase, they'll give you 30 bucks for free. You get the same deal when you refer your friends and family. They can shake your phone every single day for free sats. I lost my streak in Miami. I was on a 200-plus-day streak, and it builds as you go, so you get more and more sats each day. It was heartbreaking. So don't don't mess up your shake streak. Anyways, keep going. Lennon.io, you can use your Bitcoin for a variety of different services, in particular if you're in a pinch and you need your hands on dollars but you don't want to sell your Bitcoin, you can deposit Bitcoin here, get a loan to your bank account within 24 hours, you pay back those dollars, you get back the same amount of Bitcoin. They also have savings accounts for Bitcoin and USDC and their B2X offering, and they're dabbling in Bitcoin mortgages, so check them out, links are down below uh bit refill these guys help me a ton living on bitcoin super simple you can grab any gift card you like with bitcoin both on chain and lightning and you earn sats back as you shop if you want a few extra sats they also have a referral program which is linked down below uh keystone one of my favorite most used hardware wallets 100 air gaps never plug it into anything internet connected it's all done offline via qr code keeps the keys to your money safe and away from internet connections uh upgrade definitely to the bitcoin only firmware and works beautifully with blue wallet sparrow specter all that good stuff awesome in a multi-sig too. check him out and finally if you're backing up any important bitcoin wallet be sure to get in solid steel uh paper doesn't cut it friends you know fire damage water damage all that stuff bill foddle privacypros.io this is how i back up all my stuff so with that let's bring in our our friends here we've got sean we've got margo we've got mark uh Welcome, everybody. I'm going to get a quick round of intros from you guys. So uh, when I come to you, if you can just do a quick, who are you? What do you do? Uh, that'd be great. So let's start with Sean. A quick little intro from you.
3: Sure. My name's Sean Connell. Uh, my background is I come from energy first uh, before coming into Bitcoin. So I spent about 15 years with a power generation uh, company where I built on that a trade desk. And now I work for a company called Lancium. And uh, we are an energy transition company that's building out electrical infrastructure and software to essentially convert large Bitcoin mining facilities into like power plants in reverse. So I'm kind of doing what I've used in my background from power generation for application now in Bitcoin mining.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm glad to have you, man. And uh, and and we uh, hang out around the same neck of the woods. So it's good to have uh, another uh, local uh, jumping on, although we're kind of globe trotting a little bit. So...
3: That's right. I think we're below zero today still, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I hit the beach one day and I was shoveling snow the next. It was very unpleasant. So (laughs) Uh, let's jump down the line. Mark, uh, can you give yourself a little intro? Who are you? What do you do?
1: Thank you. My name is Mark Stefani. I'm a hospital medicine physician for the past 10 years. Uh, So in the thick of things over the past couple, that's for sure. Uh, I've been in the Bitcoin space since January 2017. And I started the Progressive Bitcoiner podcast in December of last year because I felt that there was a gap in the content uh, with respect to uh, center-left issues, when arguably, in my opinion, uh, some of the most relevant uh, applications to Bitcoin are uh, for the people most uh, in need of it. And so I launched that in December and things have been growing there and uh, loved, very
0: honored and grateful to have the opportunity opportunity to do something like that. Awesome. Well, I'm I'm glad to have you here and uh, very interested to, to chat with you this time around. Um, and finally, let's jump to Margo, aka Jen Urso. How thanks. are you doing?
2: I'm good. Thanks. I'm Margo, or Jen. I am a fellow at the Bitcoin Policy Institute, and I focus mainly on Bitcoin mining and environment-related issues. So I have worked a lot with Sean and he was on the panel that I moderated at the Bitcoin conference. So that was very cool. And I also know Mark from his work on the progressive side of things. So yeah, I'm also a PhD candidate. I do research on climate change. I have a climate model that I'm building and I'm also working on a study of Bitcoin mining in ERCOT. So a case study of that. So that's really exciting. Uh, getting, trying to figure out where all the data is and figure out what the story is there.
0: you got your fingers in everything. You're busy. That's awesome.
2: <laughs> yeah, it keeps me very busy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, guys, I am super happy to have you all. Uh, thank you for joining. And uh, shout out to everybody that's already here in the chat. Uh, I'll be bringing up some of your comments and everything up here. I don't know if our favorite person is here yet or not. I'm sad I haven't seen him for a couple of weeks. Uh we I I have a fan on the show. His name is David Wong and uh he's here every Friday, sometimes hours early for the show. He hates Bitcoin, but he's here almost every week. So, I hope we see his return. Uh we'll put out positive vibes so that he can fill the chat with his his excellent criticism and uh <laughs> even Bitcoin magazine is in the room. So, uh you know, shout out to Bitcoin Mag for joining in. Uh, but we're going to get this rolling. People watching that are unfamiliar. This is Why Are We Bullish. Very simple. Uh, we go by the three R's. Somebody's going to give a reason why they're bullish. Then altogether, we're going to riff on that reason. And then we're going to rotate to the next person. Simple. We're going to go all the way through to everybody gets a chance. I will be kicking us off tonight. Uh, very, very... Uh, I, I, I've been reinvigorated uh, by this trip to Miami. And so my... My reason for being bullish this week is the Bitcoin brain drain, uh, you know, a phenomenon where where people just leave their former lives behind and just get sucked into the black hole that is Bitcoin in whatever way they see fit. Um, you know, and, and we do see notable people, um, highly visible public personas that get sucked into Bitcoin. We've seen a, a number of them over the past number of years, you know, Jack Dorsey being a very notable one, um, you know, leaving things behind to focus a lot on Bitcoin. There is even a panel of (laughs) Greg Foss headed up a panel of uh, billionaire capital allocators that that have been become kind of enthralled in Bitcoin and left some of their previous ventures or put large swaths of their net worth into Bitcoin. But Where I'd like to focus this particular topic and my reason for being bullish this week is the individual uh, people that I've met along the way. Um, In particular, I really noticed um, from visiting Bitcoin 2019, obviously there's a gap in 2020, but then going again in 21, and then again this year. And each year I would come across people that would come up to me and say, hey, do you have any ideas of like, how I could get more involved, how I could work in this space, what I could do? Um, and, you know, people are always drawn and they're like, I I can't quite, I'm, I'm not fully invested in my, my previous ventures, in my current occupation. And I just, I feel like this is important. I'd like to spend more time on it. And each year I return, there's not only a swap more people saying the same things but the ones from the previous years have now gotten jobs and are now working in the space which is just incredible to see there were so many people from uh last year that came up and and said well i'm kind of looking around trying to figure out what i can do and then they're coming back and saying hey i'm working for this company or this company and this company and they're all moving away from what they were working on previously to figure out where they fit and then contribute to Bitcoin, which is an incredible thing to see. And in fact, you even see groups that are putting together resources to help people like that along the way to find where their, their contributions can best be best allocated. Um, and I'd like to give a shout out to Bitcoin or Jobs. They had a booth at the conference and they're helping regular day-to-day plebs that just want to be involved come and and work for bitcoin companies and uh you know i just said bitcoin magazine is in is in the chat there and man the number of people that i've seen join up with them and and help with content uh another good shout out would be swan swan seems to be employing everybody <laughs> they're just hiring non-stop and uh it's always cool seeing great people join up with them but the brain drain is real, and I think as more and more people kind of see the gravity of what Bitcoin has to offer to the world potentially, um, they're all finding unique places to contribute. Myself included early on, I had no idea how a mixture of um, having taught little kids how to break dance for a decade, uh, enjoying being on a stage and and performing. And uh, some very minor video editing skills would come together to uh, teach people about how to use Bitcoin wallets and security and all that. <laughs> but I never would have guessed this trajectory for myself, but through, you know, kind of being exposed to the space and, and having a, an extreme passion for it, you, you tend to find your way and, and put together your skill set to provide some value. So uh, very bullish on the fact that not only did I see a ton of Bitcoiners who wanted to work in Bitcoin have that dream fulfilled, but I saw another massive amount of plebs this year that have that drive to make it happen. And I very much look forward to seeing them again next year as they tell me all about their great new jobs. So I'm going to open it up to you guys, uh, whether it be Questions, commentary, things that you've experienced in regards to people finding their, their place in Bitcoin or even yourself. So does anybody want to dive in with anything that they've experienced? Sure.
1: I, I think you're absolutely right. It's, it's a one way street, it would seem. It, it's, it's a black hole of, of pulling people in. And it seems that to be doing that from all sectors, whether that's finance, energy, uh, climate science, to um, entertainment. You know, everybody's headed in one direction. You, I, I can't think of a single example where people are leaving the industry. Uh, and so it's it's pretty most certainly bullish in, in, in that case. I can speak from experience in that the Minneapolis B- Bitcoin uh, meetup group, you know, there's been at least four or five <laughs> members that have moved to Austin for Bitcoin companies, primarily unchained they're they're poaching everybody from up here. So it's pretty remarkable. So I would completely agree with you. It's a very bullish uh, scenario.
0: I feel like Austin is a fifty one percent attack on the uh, geolocation of bitcoiners in the space. <laughs>
3: yeah. it, it feels like um you know when when you first got introduced to Bitcoin, right, you 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 kind of start kind of going down the rabbit hole and then you make this discovery, right? and you get super excited about it. And so I think that like, you know, we all wear different hats in our lives. There's like your, your hat as a husband, the hat as a as a parent, and then there's your career hat and then your personal hat. And so I found that, you know, my experience and my observation with others is that you've got this kind of career hat that you're wearing and you got to, you know, put that on every day and you're doing certain activities. And then you go home and you put on this other hat, which is, this, you know, this interest hat, which is like the, the Bitcoin discovery. And so it feels like, you know, and the passion is so strong in that top hat that I find, you know, myself and others like, how do you convert that into just one hat so it doesn't feel like you're having two jobs where you kind of have this career during the day and then you go home and you're doing this other thing, spend a whole bunch of time. So how do you merge those? And so that's kind of, you know, I agree completely with you guys. It, it usually comes in as that personal interest. You get in the space and you're like, well, how do I combine this so I don't have to do, you know, two jobs?
2: Yeah. Also, I think it's a good description called a, a black hole because you really have to Try not to hit that event horizon because there's no escape once you go in and for me trying to balance all the stuff that I'm doing in Bitcoin with my PhD re- research is really hard sometimes so I have to remind myself to step back and like remember I also need to get my PhD <laughs> so if I get too sucked in I'll never finish my PhD but I'll have a lot of fun with Bitcoin but uh I'm I won't get the PhD.
3: <laughs> and Mar- Margo, have you merged like your PhD, like with kind of like the Bitcoin space?
2: A little bit. I mean, I finally had the conversation with my advisor about this ERCOT study and I I had to really defend the idea. He knows a few things about power systems. He's done some modeling. So at first he was skeptical, but I pushed back a lot and pulled as much knowledge as I had in my head about. everything that was going on and by the end of it he was he was like okay yeah this is worthwhile and he even said that the model that we're working on could actually be applicable down the line so which was his way of saying you know don't stop working on your model because we because you should finish it so don't get too distracted but you know we'll see what happens how this study goes and maybe on my thesis, I don't know.
1: If I can jump in, was there a particular piece of evidence or was it the cumulative amount of evidence that tipped the scales for your advisor?
2: Oh, I think it was the cumulative amount. And maybe I I just kept throwing things back at him, like whatever I could think of about demand response or about uh, bringing on new infrastructure. He understood, like, I didn't start with Bitcoin mining. First of all, I started with the big picture problem, which was how do we accelerate the renewable energy transition? And, th- and then I was like, and oh, there's these computers that you can use. Ha ha ha! Well, they're energy intensive. And then finally, I was like, cryptocurrency miners. And then I was like, Bitcoin. <laughs> Bitcoin mining. And uh, yeah, and he. He's skeptical about the renewable energy transition. So that was part of the problem. And I had to tell him, look, it doesn't. The the question isn't whether we can bring on high levels of renewables onto electrical grid. The question is whether Bitcoin mining actually plays a role. And this case study in ERCOT is the first step. And he he was also concerned because you can really this type of modeling that you could end up doing is very complicated. So he was basically saying, like, this is a whole career. That you're talking about, I don't understand. What are you saying? Do you want to change your thesis? It's okay, but this is really changing. <laughs> and what are, you, what are you thinking? So I, I couldn't tell him that it was like, oh, I'm, I'm you know, doing this because I love Bitcoin. But I, I, ha- I was really trying to be, uh, you know, objective. And he, he thinks that he's doing it because um, he thinks it's climate activism. So I think that's great.
0: <laughs> so do you think he's well, going to be drawn into the black hole or?
2: I don't know. He still uses AOL for his email. So. Oh, yeah, might take, might take a few more touch points before that happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, that's that's great. Um, did you guys encounter people? Uh, well, how many of you were down? Um, Mark, were you down in, uh, in Miami or no? Yeah, I couldn't make it. I was working. Oh, that's too bad. Uh, Well, fair enough. Well, I'm curious to hear if Sean and Margo uh, ran into people that maybe have made some shifts uh, while you were down in Miami. Did you did you encounter any people that were um, beginning to work in the Bitcoin space or had aspirations of or anything like that?
3: So maybe I'll kind of uh, start by saying I think Margo and I had a kind of an expectation going down to bitcoin miami this year that you know the mining stage last year was it was a kind of a tent off to the side and it was kind of on the fringe right and so <laughs> it's like, pretty different this time right and so like and i think that uh you know i'll speak for myself maybe Margot might add on this but like it's different when you speak in front of a group of you know 100 200 versus a thousand right and so i uh, went down to miami and you know checked out the space that was gonna be for like the mining stage and it's you know a thousand people right so it's you know tying into what you're we're sharing is like what was you know, surprising was, is the amount of people that have shifted to kind of this awareness of kind of Bitcoin at the intersection of energy. And we're really kind of, you know, sponges that we're kind of, you know, kind of like, um, you know, drinking from the hose of saying, you know, kind of teach me, right, because I really need to know this information. Um, so I felt that that was a big shift that happened year over year, where, you know, something fringe on the side to saying, hey, this is something super important and super kind of, you um, you know, can play a key role in this energy transition and, you know, help me kind of defend an attack vector of Bitcoin by understanding the benefits of it. So that's kind of a long way of saying that, you know, people are very receptive to learning this. And so it felt like, you know, um, people wanted to be a sponge to learn those pieces. Would you Would you think it's the same, Margo, or something different? Or?
2: Yeah, yeah, I agree that uh, there were a lot of people who wanted to talk about mining with renewable energy. Uh, they were they were interested in like, does this really work, or you know, what are the conditions for it? But I think what surprises me is how excited people are about it more than anything, because there were a lot of technical questions, and I, I did uh, ask people on Twitter to submit questions for the panel, and, and we had like close to 70 questions, and some of them were very technical, some of them were skeptic based, but overall. <laughs> I think the level of excitement around it it was beyond anything I thought, and the panel had standing room seating. I guess like it was filled to capacity. That's what I was told. It's hard to see from the stage, (laughs) so so I think that. Well, I didn't really hear anybody actually saying like, "Can you get me a job (laughs) in this space?" (laughs) You know, I can't get a job in this space. But I do know that. Well, actually, I do know that at least one person is was thinking about dropping out of their Ph.D. program to work in the renewable industry on Bitcoin mining in particular. So, yeah, there there are. Sounds like there are really people out there that want to get involved and think this is a worthwhile endeavor.
0: I uh, actually one of the people that brought brought this up and I don't, I don't want to like ruin any topics moving forward, but. Uh... I'm not a fan of the individual, but interesting that he's getting into this realm is, uh, Kevin O'Leary was talking about, he wants to, uh, be doing a mix of hydro and nuclear in terms of my. So he's kind of diving and he was talking about, oh, I want to do this for the next decade. So, hmm. um, interesting to hear that coming out of him. Um, but, uh, yeah, I digress. Um, hmm yeah there's been quite a lot of interest from a lot of people in a lot of different realms and you're absolutely right about that mining stage i mean the the 2019 main stage for for the bitcoin conference was about the same size as the mining stage this time uh and that was for like the main stage of all all the major speakers uh it was pretty astounding to see all of the different stages and and the draw that they all got for um, whether it be mining or or uh, the open source stage, was something you think to go to. Um, obviously, the main stage had some great great stuff. There was I can't remember the name of the other stage, the Genesis stage. There's a lot of there was a lot of different talks to take in in different realms, and it seems like they filled them up the whole time. Uh, there you you had to split your attention quite a bit if you wanted a, a range of topics. So it was it was pretty awesome. But
3: um, Ben, was there was there a Bitcoin 2019 was it
0: in miami uh so 2019 was in san francisco uh and it thankfully moved (laughs) um (laughs) it was a little it was a little pricey uh over in san francisco for not quite as good of an experience i would say um i i thoroughly enjoyed it last last year's was uh at at a different location so a lot of the stages you remember some of them were Mm -hmm. like outside kind of like tented and then this year it was just massive like you could your feet were killing you by the end of the day if you were walking from stage to stage which you know not a bad thing i don't i'd I'd rather have the space (laughs) but um yeah so uh i i guess i can just kind of round out this topic by saying um the brain drain is real uh there's people flocking to Bitcoin and trying to find their way. And if you're one of those people, just keep going with it. Keep trying to figure out where your skill sets lie and and what you can offer. And if the first few things you try, much like I experienced, don't quite work out, you'll, you'll gradually find a place for you to settle into. Um, also, take a look at bitcoinerjobs.com, I believe it is, but Google that and uh, and you'll probably maybe find some some ideas there as well. But uh, I'm 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 excited to see the influx of new people and and what they have to offer in the coming years. So with that, uh, let's let's do a little rotation. I do have to do a a, a quick <laughs> a quick shout out to our, our number one fan. Has made it. He he wants everybody to know that he's not bullish <laughs> at all right now. Bitcoin is stuck <laughs> in the 40k level. So thank you, David. It's a pleasure to have you here. I value your input. And I hope you had a wonderful (laughs) week. Um, But we're going to keep rolling here. And uh, I'm going to toss it to Sean. Sean, here is your opportunity. Uh, A little rant. What are you what are you bullish about? What are you excited about this week?
3: Sure, and actually, it's funny the comment there. David Wong makes me think. You remember the movie uh, Howard Stern Private Parts? <laughs> <laughs> I think the average Howard Stern lover listened for like an hour, and the average hater listened for like five hours. So maybe David Wong's <laughs> your Howard Stern hater guy yeah. that is your number one fan. <laughs>
0: He's gradually being orange pill just through osmosis. I think yeah, it's, it'll happen.
3: <clears throat> yeah, um, yeah. So the reason why I'm bullish is that you know when I entered this space. I, you know, I started my career, um, a company here in Alberta called Transelta, and it's a power generation company. And, you know, when I came across Bitcoin, like, you know, my first kind of response to it at the time was saying, you know, like, what is it? You know, how do you buy it? Right? And it's like, oh, you can go through the exchange. And then, you know, what does it cost to make? Right. And so at that time in 2017, it was like, you could buy it for 10,000. And the equivalent was, you know, $400, right, to, to make it. And so like, to me, there's a big bust there, right? So it's saying like, you know, why would you buy it if you can just make it? So like, I need to really understand the fundamentals of Bitcoin mining the same way like commodities have, you know, kind of their fundamentals that drive kind of their value and how, you know, prices uh, converge and kind of, you know, uh, how they how they formulate over time. And, and so for me at the time is that there was, you know, I looked at this and, and thought that, you know, this is, you can see where Bitcoin's going and the trajectory it's going and it, it's gonna be, you know, it is a completely an energy story, and so I really need to understand that. And so when I made the shift over, I was super excited because I I saw Bitcoin as this you know this type of uh, so first and foremost I said I started with the hat of just being you know a Bitcoin enthusiast, right? And then I wanted to understand the power side. And when I dove into the power side, it was like you know kind of finding you know Bitcoin was a jackpot, and then you find this jackpot embedded within the jackpot, which is saying. You know, I didn't think this would be so advantageous, but this is going to be super beneficial to what's happening in this energy transition. And so why I'm bullish right now is that um, you know, for it's starting to become mainstream on kind of people understanding kind of the, the value proposition that Bitcoin mining is having. And you know the the short version of kind of you know, why it's a good thing for Bitcoin mining is that in an energy transition, you need to essentially electrify everything. Which means that you know all of your electric, all of your cars are gonna be electric, your buildings, et cetera. You're gonna do a, a 3x in electricity demand. And so that means three times as much electricity as needed. Simultaneously, you're gonna replace all the fossil fuel generation that's existing. So coal plants are gonna retire, and you're gonna replace that with wind and solar, which is intermittent. And so you're gonna do a, a 15x on the wind and solar capacity that exists right now. So so far you're gonna triple your demand, you're gonna get rid of your re- reliable generation and replace it with intermittent. And so what that means is that you need to have about four times more flexibility on the grid to manage these swings, right? And so think about like a you know wind that just stops blowing, and you need to have something that can kind of balance a grid or a solar ramp when the sun goes down, you need to have something that can help out with that kind of ramp. And so, you know, currently in uh the power space is that um uh, demand response and batteries represent one percent of all the flexibility for like those types of resources that can help balance these systems. And in this grid of the future is that you know, batteries and demand response are going to be needing for 50%, right? So it's, you're replacing all this fossil fuel. So there's a new requirement that you need to have this massive amount of flexibility from, from batteries and demand response. And the punchline demand response is it's going to be a 20 X in demand response. And so people are now starting to kind of, you know, tying in that. Um, so being the space here now for a couple of years, and I hear kind of people that are Bitcoin miners that really are like, uh, they are like amazing at what they do, and they kind of they uh, understand Bitcoin mining inside and out. And you know, when people come to them and say, "Hey, you're doing Bitcoin mining, that's bad," and you know, the response is deep down inside they know it's good for renewables, but they can't really explain exactly how, right? And so I feel like now the narrative is happening where um, they're starting to understand how Bitcoin mining can just be turned on and off and just like in a jiffy, right? So the current solution we have for demand response right now would be something like a steel plant. That will essentially you know call them up you know somebody that turns off the arc furnace for a couple hours can't do it too long because the steel will harden so you only get a couple hours and that's the best demand response on the planet and so now you got bit, now you got this new demand response and then miners are starting to kind of wake up to this realization that they've got a jackpot right and they're like like holy cow I've got this you know amazing resource that can help in this, in this energy transition. So instead of us defending the narrative on saying is this a good use of energy right it's now saying do you want to decarbonize your power grids? Okay, good. Okay. Well, you need demand response. Good. We're going to help you out with that. So we're doing this to help you achieve your goals. And so I'm bullish because people are now really starting to understand this. And and if they don't, like they're diving in to really understand the pieces. And, you know, my, um, my my DMs and Twitter have now been starting to fill up with people that are wanting to start academic papers on Bitcoin mining as a flexible resource. Um, I've written a couple pieces with uh, I've written a piece with Nick Carter before and we're gonna be releasing another research paper here soon on Bitcoin mining as a flexible load. But it feels like, you know, that that shift of saying that, you know, the attack vector of you know Bitcoin can be banned to saying you need Bitcoin to help with this transition. So that's kind of why I'm bullish is this this pivot that's happening in the narrative, and people are really dialing in to really understand that. Can you can you
0: um, for those that may be unfamiliar? Can you elaborate a little bit on <clears throat> on um, with intermittents? Uh, mm-hmm. What what the deal is in terms of why you need you were saying about four x uh, yeah. the load? Um, why is that necessary? What's the implication of not having that covered? And and then uh, and to tag on to that, where are we at with? With batteries to be able to handle like those downtimes and in, in instances where uh, we might need to rely on them.
3: Yeah, so there's you know both batteries and demand response play you know big roles, but they can do different use cases, right? And so you know, and I shared this one in the panel in Miami is that the use case of a battery. For example, is that we use a hundred megawatt battery that can last for four hours. You can be up in the in the Panhandle in Texas, and it's a very windy day, and it looks like it's going to be windy for four days and they're needing to curtail the amount of energy that's being produced because there's not enough demand locally, plus the amount of wires that connect to the major load centers. So they actually have to turn down the wind, right? And so put the battery there. And so the battery's gonna do, you know, four hours at hundred megawatts, right? So it's gonna do 400, you know, megawatt hours, but then it's gonna have to turn offline for four straight days. It's gotta wait till the wind stops blowing until injecting that power back in, right? Whereas you can have like a, a flexible mining load that's located right in the Panhandle, and you know, on hour one, it's going to consume 100 megawatts all the way through for four days, right? So it's going to do the you know 9,600 megawatt hours of consumption compared to only 400 for the battery, which means you've improved the economics for wind that would have just been curtailed, right? And so you know, it's important to note that you know batteries play a big role, in that they have also provide you know backup power, like a, a Bitcoin mine can't store energy and then give it back to the grid, right? It's just to, to make a case that there's different use cases and you know the challenge that the Texas grid is having in other areas where they reach a really high amount of wind wind and solar penetration is you've got lack of transmission infrastructure that can pull that power to the regions and so it's just being wasted so how do you have something that can soak up that excess power until you can actually build these power lines that can connect those and then you can have that mining facility that can just you know turn down turn up and down um you mentioned about it, what's the consequence of not having these resources to balance is like you know, think about a day where, you know, it's super windy day, and then all of a sudden, the wind just stops blowing until um, so in power markets is your real time supply has to meet your demand all the time at the same exactly the same amount, right? It's precision. Um, and if the wind uh, turns offline, currently, we ramp up a natural gas plant to take that place, right? And saying, Okay, we need something to fill that gap, because we just lost some supply. But we just talked about a narrative where you're replacing all your fossil fuel generation and all you're left on the grid is with, you know, a different resource mix. It could be nuclear, it could be hydro, it could be wind, solar, batteries, demand response. So what's gonna fill that gap where gas was or coal was. And so if you don't have that gap, then you can get into something that turns into like a, you know, a blackout because you, need uh, partial load shedding in certain areas because you can't meet that demand. So it's, there's, there's consequences and it's kind of, um, and just zooming out, you know, tree top level here is that um, when, countries make these goals of saying we're going to be, you know, decarbonizing our power systems. It feels good and it's the right thing to do, but there's just a lot of implications to that, right? Cuz our there's so much flexibility that's being given by these types of resources like natural gas plants. If you take them away, well you need to have something that can make up for that, right? And so Bitcoin mining is has that ability where it can just turn on, turn off, turn on, turn off and can also, you know, soak up that excess uh um wind or solar in certain areas when there's not enough, you know, transmission to be able to push that power in other regions. Awesome.
0: Do you, uh, Mark or, or Margo, want to hop in here? Any any thoughts, comments, anything on what's uh, what Sean has said here?
2: Um, I second what Sean is saying. I, I actually just spoke with somebody today. I had a meeting with someone from the renewable energy industry, and they're saying they're getting a lot of calls from mining companies wanting to uh integrate with them with their their power and he was a little skeptical but i he, of some of the claims coming out of the community and i i think he said he attended the conference and it, some maybe people were a little over bullish from his perspective but by the end of it he's like yeah we're probably going to be working with them so you know it's this is really really starting to happen it's just the industry is just starting to wake up and realize this potential so it's really exciting to to see it and to be able to see how it's going to play out from now into the next five ten years
0: Do, from that conversation did you glean that people were indeed being maybe getting ahead of themselves a little bit or was it did he maybe not understand some of the implications of it or was it a mixture of both or
2: I, I don't really, I don't know exactly what he was told. I mean, he had some questions about e-waste and the, the general fud around that sort of thing. I'm, And then sometimes people get really excited and they're like, oh, yeah, this is going to save the planet. And of course, I mean, it's going to contribute to to our whole decarbonization and trying to meet these goals from the Paris Climate Agreement and the latest IPCC report, of course, that we have to accelerate this renewable transition. But I mean, you know, Bitcoin mining is one tool in a toolbox of tools that we have to make this transition possible. So maybe there were some people that were like, super excited, like, yeah, we're gonna do the planet," which is great. You know, I, I think hearing that come out of Bitcoin space is, is, is re- really warms my heart. Like, yeah, let's be excited about saving the planet. Like, let's make Bitcoin do this. This is fantastic. So. I don't know exactly what he was told. I don't know if it was if it was that, but but I think I, you know, I I tried to, I did my best to answer his questions and try to, you know, alleviate some of his concerns.
0: Sounds like he did a good job. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mark, did you want to tag in for anything? Any thoughts on on what uh, Margot or Sean have, has said? No, I was going to ask the same exact
1: question that you did. What it was going to what was the overzealous component that uh, this person uh, was linking to but it sounds like there wasn't something specific so
2: yeah you know the thing is is what he said was you know people in bitcoin are like really into bitcoin i don't think any of us can disagree with that like we're we're really <clears throat> intensely passionate about bitcoin and the importance of bitcoin and generally he said usually when i when i encounter that i'm i'm really skeptical but it seems like in bitcoin maybe there's actually more to it than 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 just hype so yeah he's been doing a lot of research he, he said he's like he on a scale he's now he's maybe a, a small c crypto bro so <laughs> he's moving his way yeah, through through his education and the rabbit hole
1: we want that c to be a
0: b though
2: oh well, well of course <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> awesome all right well let's uh i guess we'll we'll round this one out and we'll we'll move on to the next um sean is, in regards to what you're saying uh would you point people towards any any interesting reading resources or anything that you've kind of encountered to to kind of if they're interested in in diving down the rabbit hole about your what you were just talking about
3: sure um so my my twitter i post a whole bunch of this and so it's at sean energy so pretty easy to remember um, there's a white paper that we um, that we uh, that was we helped commission that was essentially a, a research study on mining in Texas, and the study concluded that for a flexible Bitcoin mining, to the degree to the degree that to the degree that it's flexible and it's about ten percent, it's actually net negative for emissions. And what that means is that you're locating in certain areas where they're allowing the overbuild of renewables that wouldn't occur without those facilities. And the total amount of megawatt hours that you're consuming is actually less than the number of megawatt hours that are brought online by new renewables projects. Right. So that's a bit of a mind trip. Right. So that's you can find that on my Sean Energy on Twitter. And, you know, I post a bunch of uh, uh, content around there that should have some links.
0: Is this the uh, the flexible data centers can reduce grid carbon emissions in Texas? Is this the. uh... Uh,
3: It sounds familiar, but it should be like large flexible data centers. Yeah, um,
0: I think so. Flexible yep. data centers. I'm just—I uh, believe it's on your Twitter here. I'll just pull it up so people can take a look. Is that the one that we're talking about here?
3: Uh, yes, that is the one. Man, you're fast, Ben. <laughs> I'm smart. I'm, I'm <laughs> working in the background here. I gotta gotta get good at this. So <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, yeah. You know, Sean Sean's uh, profile is in in the along with uh, of course Margo and. Mark here. Uh their Twitter profiles are in the show notes if you want to dive into anything we're talking about as we talk about it if it comes up. Uh they'll be linked down below so check them out. But uh with that, let's do uh let's do a little rotation um and uh shout out to everybody in the chat here. I'm going to start pulling up more comments as we go so keep them flowing and if they're relevant, I'll I'll bring them up. But uh, i going to jump over to Mark. Mark, you are up. Uh, what are you bullish about this week? What is on your mind? Thank you. I would say that I don't have a
1: technical thing that I'm necessarily bullish on or a specific project. What I would say is that I'd have this kind of backseat to the overall um, ethos and uh, narrative surrounding uh, the community in my in my niche here. And so what I'm bullish about, I'm bullish because you have allowed Sean, Margo, and I to be a voice on your platform. And so what do I mean by that? I mean that there's this ever-increasing number of voices and stories in Bitcoin, and I think that diversity should be celebrated. I'm bullish because every one of my guests on my podcast uh, representing so many different experiences are incredibly passionate and, and committed to Bitcoin, and these are worldwide voices, obviously, um, the, these voices are, are are increasing, right? And so while it may be frustrating that we see ongoing FUD and, and some hostile critics uh, on Twitter, I, I look at the numbers and you, and you see people uh, ever increasing engagement, ever increasing adoption, while it's the same Bitcoin critics on Twitter. We're still dealing with the same people, the same arguments. And yet, more and more people are coming to Bitcoin, and so that's that's the signal that I that I hang on to. Uh, but the most bullish part for me is that these people are building with Bitcoin. They're building products that will be a service to their communities and their countries, and I think that we should all aspire to do that—to contribute some way to Bitcoin. And I would argue that simply owning Bitcoin is not enough. That's the minimum that one can do. So I'm firmly in the camp that uh, we must build the future of Bitcoin that we want to see. And much like the Bill of Rights, Bitcoin, in my opinion, is this codified set of rules and we build on top of that. And that is up to us. And if we don't, then somebody else will. So I remain extremely bullish because we've clearly got people like Sean and Margo and yourself and Bitcoin Acasi and Calcasa all contributing in these incredible ways. Um, and I'm incredibly honored to be doing my small part. And so that's why I remain bullish is because when you take a step back from all the, the FUD from these critics and from the politicians, like we we're you're pointing out at the beginning, the, it, this is a one-way street. People are going in to Bitcoin. You don't see anybody exiting. There's always more projects. There's always more companies. There's always more podcasts. There's always more things to be written, to me, that's the most bullish signal of all.
0: I like that. And I, I like that you, in particular, you mentioned the, um, the, the different voices that we're starting to hear, right? We're, we're starting to hear like a, a plethora of different ideas in and around Bitcoin. And <clears throat> regardless of kind of where you sit on a lot of these topics, I mean, the, the, the fact remains that Bitcoin is just for ev- everyone anyone can can come to bitcoin and utilize it in the way that they best see fit and bitcoin ends up being kind of this this base layer for truth it's like a solid foundation where we know that how it functions because we have this specific protocol set out okay well this is this is just how it works and then we can based on our assumptions of of what we think is valid we can build atop it And it it allows for this competition of ideas and the best ones tend to bubble to the top. And, you know, the market will sort through what is noise and what is signal. And over time, we can kind of decipher, you know, even I I know that you guys get a lot of pushback um, from other Bitcoiners in regards to um, your views on energy. But in the end, Bitcoin uh, as a base layer for money cannot be perverted and, and cannot be, uh, debased and reallocated. Um, and so I believe with that, what will come of it is the, the best ideas and the best and most efficient ways of allocating human time and capital and energy will, will be the winners in this instance. And I think, you know, over time, it just gives us a a better baseline for truth in, in terms of, uh, you know, what, what we value and, and what is efficient. So uh, I know that's kind of uncertain, uh, I guess, in, in regards to a lot of stuff, but um, I kind of have faith that with, with that kind of base layer of truth, we, we come through it with a better idea of where we stand. So I don't know, I'll open it up to uh, Sean or Margot if you want to tag on to my very vague statements there. <laughs>
3: Sorry, I was on mute there. Um, Mark, how did you get into Bitcoin and just, uh, you know, what was your kind of reason for for starting a podcast?
1: I got into Bitcoin after going through 2017 and getting spit out the other end and still recognizing that there was something to uh, Bitcoin, there's still something to the technology, but totally burnt out from the whole ICO experience. And so, what, what planted the seed was uh, what is money basically. And that stuck with me up and you know, through, it was probably late 2018, early 19, where it was just like, I have to revisit that question. I've always had this tumultuous relationship with money my entire life. And I felt like if I was going to try to not only understand Bitcoin, but understand how I need to handle my own Economic position and financial position. I need to better understand what is money, and I, I I can't understand stocks and the financial markets without understanding this very core position. And so I didn't even start reading Bitcoin books before uh, I started with you know uh, you know Ferguson's books and he sent the money and all those other foundational books. Mm-hmm. And then it was just like most of us, it was kind of game on from there and uh, an ever expanding uh, need to. To understand more but it wasn't until yeah late 2019-20 when you know you felt comfortable in your seat a little bit more and really saw how things were spreading outside of the little bubble that you may have started with and so you look at uh you know seeing things like Paxful and um its implications uh more globally started make you thinking about um uh, bitcoins overall impact, not just within your own little sphere, and obviously Gladstein's work. Uh, and then it was uh, certainly Nicole Dabrow's uh, content and her articles that really made me focus in on uh, more of the traditionally progressive related issues. And what I mean by that is simply uh, helping out the most uh, marginalized communities and obviously uh, some of the climate change uh, activism and Bitcoin's implication of that. And clearly, there was a lack of that content out there, uh, coupled with the majority of uh, fud coming from the left. Uh, I felt like it was again. I needed to do something more. It was. It was. It was. It was less. What can Bitcoin do for me? But what can I do for Bitcoin? Uh, because I knew that if I, I, I firmly believe that if we don't you know, at least try to steer the narrative ourselves, um, it will be steered for us. And so uh, it was very much uh, a passion project that a few of us, including Bargo, launched uh, late last year. And it's been a, a joy ever since.
0: I'm so glad that you brought up uh, Paxful because they're they're doing some pretty amazing things, in particular, the uh, built with Bitcoin um, where they're building schools uh, a, a lot of them in Africa and uh, Yusuf was on the show before I went to Miami actually and he's just awesome but they are doing some incredible things down there with, with Bitcoin so I'm really glad that you mentioned it um, uh, yeah they're remarkable like, yeah. that doesn't give it enough play in
1: traditional uh, mainstream media because it's <laughs> like it, it's it's remarkable. And, and if it were any other, you know, not-for-profit, I think there'd be plenty of articles written up uh, about what he's doing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you mentioned uh, in passing, you mentioned Bitcoin books. Uh, did, did you have any, once you did get into uh, the Bitcoin books, did you have some that you gravitated towards any that you found not in line with your thinking perhaps as well? Um. There weren't, <laughs> I,
1: I, I enjoyed Safety Dean's book up until the art and architecture piece.
0: Uh, <laughs> That's where uh, the most people had problems.
1: Yeah. And so I, I skipped over that till the, the, the conclusion. Uh, and yeah, then the plenty of other books, uh, Layered Money or, have been fantastic. Um, I guess I, I, I get a little... Lost in some of the more metaphorical uh, pieces, mm-hmm. um, and the some of the more weighty uh, comparisons, and I've really uh, focused more on like the, the concrete real world uh, applications. And I don't know I find myself consuming a lot more um, article content than than books these days. Uh, that being said, I'm <laughs> going back to Andreas's. Uh, mastering bitcoin book as we speak and trying to pull more Mm. from that
0: yeah absolutely uh anybody want to tag in further margo i don't know if you have anything that you wanted to add in here
2: oh i mean i love all the work that's happening in the in, in the global south i think that's where the most exciting stuff is happening because like i mean like alex gladstein says like his book title is check your financial privilege because in the west we're incredibly financially privileged we have a fairly stable uh money and of course we're seeing rising inflation now but you know we really haven't had to deal with with any kind of destabilization in that sense any kind of hyperinflation. we really haven't seen governments outright steal our hard-earned money as as people have seen in other parts of the world so seeing that work play out to me is probably what adds the biggest social value to bitcoin and is the thing that i wish was the front the face of bitcoin instead of people seeing the speculation aspect of it so i would love to see that narrative flip too that where people were faced with that that was the first thing they saw because that to me is such a powerful message of what bitcoin is really about it's not just about hodling it's it is also about using it as a currency and using it as a lifeboat and to bring Andreas Antonopoulos back into it. I mean, he's so he's so fantastic of explaining the social value and the importance of having this neutral money, this apolitical money system.
0: I'd echo also, you, uh, both of you mentioned Alex Gladstein and, and what he's doing with the Human Rights Foundation. Um, they're doing another, they had this in actually Miami, beach in october but they're doing it again in Oslo, norway coming up but there's uh last time at the oslo freedom freedom forum they had an entire bitcoin track of just like a a, its own stage with all bitcoin content um which i was very happy to be a part of uh i was just talking to him yesterday and it looks like i'm gonna be emceeing this one as well so uh super excited for that um margo you're gonna be there
2: no troy cross is going to going to be there so he oh, will be re- representing the bitcoin environment side
0: i, I might be emceeing him then and uh oh, cool. introducing him or something so that'd be great nice. Nice.
2: They always... yeah, I'm,
0: I'm sorry go
1: ahead I'm, no i'm just i was just gonna say i'm, I'm one manhattan away from yolo yoloing and getting tickets for,
0: for that <laughs> conference <laughs> it's quite good and some of the you know that's where like photo photo diop who was a keynote uh and in miami this year um uh, I'm trying to, uh, uh Farida, um, uh, Roya Muboob from, uh, Afghanistan. There, there were so many and Kalkasa from Ethiopia. There's, there, there's so many great speakers that come and talk about how Bitcoin is helping people in areas. And, and it's not uh, like to what you guys were talking about. Um, in, in Western nations, we're very spoiled in the fact that, uh, We've only ever really firsthand experienced Bitcoin as a as a way to kind of save um, or or for a lot of people that yellowed in in the past year and a half uh, speculate, right? And so that's kind of usually our first first touch point with it, it you know, myself included is you see number go up and you get curious. Whereas a lot of the individuals that are are speaking at things like the Oslo Freedom Forum, their first touch points are, this is a tool for me to survive. This is a tool for me to be able to, to move my wealth out of a country as I'm escaping or fund something within my country where, you know, my, my rights aren't being observed or, or I just have no rights. Um, it's a very real tool for these individuals and, uh, you know, like Roya Roya was the one of the first uh, stories that I read about um, that had to do with this this line of thought with Bitcoin of it being a tool for human rights and freedom. And she was in uh, Afghanistan. She was heading up the women's ro- robotics team, but uh, women were not allowed to have bank accounts there and you know basically you had to have a man managing your finances at all times um and so she had no way of of paying her team of the, paying the girls on this robotics team uh so she started accepting bitcoin and paying the women in bitcoin and basically subverted that system um i mean through doing that she did have threats on her life and uh, since left but uh uh it it's it's the censorship resistant a political nature of Bitcoin that allowed her to even do that and operate that team in the first place. So, pretty incredible stories that that come out of of these individuals that find Bitcoin and understand what it can do. Um, yeah, I think it's a fantastic topic. So, I, I think what I'll do now, um, unless anybody has any final thoughts around this topic before we round out to the last, I'll oh, we'll leave it there then. All right, so. Uh, we're going to round out to the, the final reason for being bullish. Uh, Margo, uh, I hope I don't put too much pressure on you here, but you, you are our last most bullish, re- no, <laughs> you're you are the last, uh, up tonight. So, um, yeah, feel free. Let us uh, know. What are you excited about right now in Bitcoin?
2: I'm really excited about Adam Back's announcement at Bitcoin, at the Bitcoin conference last week, which is that block stream and block have teamed up with Tesla to set up this solar and battery mining facility and it's going to run 24 seven and it's really an experiment. It's a live experiment on powering Bitcoin 100% off grid 100% with renewable and battery storage and and it's going to be uh, powering one megawatt worth with 30 petahash with a 30 petahash rate. So it's approximately a couple hundred S19s that will be running. And the best part of it to me is that he, that they're going to make all of the data public, including how much money they make from it, um, the uptime, you know, whatever else we need to know, It's, it's all going to be there. And I think this is so important because you can actually you know you can write a paper on this this can get published in in a peer reviewed publication and it's another opportunity to say look bitcoin can do something good and and i think in fact that's basically what adam back was saying is like look we're just going to do this and we're instead of just talking about it we're just going to show you we're going to just show you that bitcoin mining can do this. He said, this is a step to proving our thesis that Bitcoin mining can fund zero emission power infrastructure and build the economic growth for the future. So that is really exciting. And I I hope that people are paying attention to it because this is a first step in the right direction, I think. And it's very exciting when you're thinking about being able to bring on new energy sources, new uh, sustainable energy sources that can take us to that next level as an advanced civilization and it's it's very very cool and adam back i mean the best part is that he's also a scientist he's got a phd he's an academic essentially in his background so i think that also adds a certain amount of credibility to what he's doing so i'm really really excited to see how that pans out
0: i love it i uh i'll, I'll read up just a couple quotes from the article that i had pulled up here it said uh this from Adam Back a couple quotes from him the tesla solar pv array and tesla megapack will power blockstream and block's open source solar and battery powered bitcoin mining facility according to a slide shared by back during the presentation the facility is projected to produce 3.8 megawatts of solar renewable power 30 petahash a second hash rate. Uh, The facility will be a proof of concept for a 100% renewable energy Bitcoin mine at scale with the economics of the build out, including operational costs and returns on investment made open to the public. Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, just, just having it, he's basically open sourcing everything that they're doing saying, here's exactly how we did it. Um, And if, if it seems like a feasible operation and it's profitable, then go do it yourself. And that, I think that's a, a fantastic thing. That's great.
1: Can I ask the two of you a question, Margot and Sean? Please. Um, so this obviously demonstrates that 100% renewable uh, or solar can mine Bitcoin, but then can you take this data in turn, say with this, how does this fit into
0: the grid?
3: Yeah, so um, so adding on to what Margo said too was also pretty cool at the Bitcoin conference. Is he got to go on stage right after we we had our panel, so he we got to chat with him and he, he gave us kind of the info what he was going to share and that we kind of teed him up well because we were talking about you know the solar and the declining cost for solar on stage. Um, so I'd say what's you know super fascinating about this project is like for the first time in history you can monetize generation without wires. Right? Just step back and think about that, right? Just like Instead of needing to connect to the grid, which is usually the, normally the only buyer of energy that can take all of your production at a price that will be determined by the grid based on spot energy. But you can now avoid that, you know, bypass that. And you now have a customer for any type of sizing of facility that you want, that you can now monetize generation without, without wires. Now it's also important to kind of, you know, step back and say, you know, what is the alternative to this? And like, what is the economics? Cause I'm <clears throat> I'm really looking forward to the open sourcing of this because what I heard him say on the stage was it's a 13 million dollar project that's going to be split between Tesla and blockstream and so let's kind of break that out and just kind of you know what would it cost you to do this on your own without solar and so it's you know ballpark s19s one megawatts about three and a half million dollars um the infrastructure normally the like a substation to connect to a grid is you know call it about a half million dollars per megawatt so so you're at like um, four million dollars normally to be grid connected and so now you're 13 million right but you're not you're not going to have any opex anymore right you're you're now off the grid right and you know it's kind of like the example of saying <clears throat> i have an electric car i don't have to put gas in my tank anymore and my get and it's almost free because i'm you know connecting electricity but the tesla sure as heck wasn't wasn't a low cost option right my capex on that tesla was a lot more than you know say a honda civic So they're kind of, you know, building out like a really advanced model. Um, So I'm looking forward to the economics because I believe what they're doing is that they're buying uh, five megawatts of solar panels-ish at about a a million dollars per megawatt hour. Um, And then they're building the battery pack so that you can consume one megawatt of power from those panels during the day. And then you can inject approximately, I'm I'm gonna be wrong on this, but call it, you know, 14 megawatt hours of power that's being put in those batteries that can be pulled when the sun's not shining. Right? So it's a very high capex initial outlay, but I'm very interested to see kind of the project. And you know, the real story on this though is, and Margot, and I touched on this in the panel, is like for the first time in history, is that solar allows us to manufacture energy. And what that means is that you know, um, you know, with solar is that you're not using fossil fuels; you're using semiconductors. It's just getting better, better and better for more efficiency. The cost of solar call it like a levelized cost of energy, which is like the, the break even that you need for power to make the project economic is about $28. And these costs are going down and down and down every year. If they keep going down the same pace, then this project that they're doing right now in the same type of cost curves of batteries that we're saying is a $13 million project in 10 years from now, that project might be a $6 million project, right? Because the cost of the batteries and the solar has come down so much. And really what they're doing is they're helping advance, What's called the learning rate for solar for every doubling capacity, what's the percentage savings that you're getting on the next, uh, you know, kind of um, uh, additional power that you're bringing onto the grid? So they're fast tracking kind of the learning rate for this solar, so you can get to this point that you can have like near free energy. So I'm excited to see kind of the economics. They're, they're overpaying for sure. It's not going to be you know remotely close in my opinion to the economics of something that's just grid connected start. But they're going to show that you know these costs will come down over over time, and they've just found a way to monetize. Generation without wires, so I think it's I think it's an amazing story, and I'm, and I'm glad they're doing it.
2: Yeah, and and also, I mean, there's there's a, this massive wait time now to get connected to the grid. So if you can bring on these power plants and and monetize them while you're waiting, and the wait times are increasing, they're they're now heading towards four years because there's all sorts of policy changes that have to be made around the way these studies are are done, and if you can, if you can bring it online, you kind of eliminate a, a chicken versus the egg problem where you can kind of, you can do these in parallel. You can, you can do the study, you can wait for the approval, you can figure out how much all that's going to cost if you have to upgrade the transmission lines or whatever, or build out transmission if it's in a remote location. And in the meantime, you can keep that plant viable, you can start getting a return on that investment. And I think that's that's one of the key components here is that we want to overbuild this the the renewable power that we need for the grid, we have to overbuild for, for the time where, where we have the the least amount of of power available, right? So so we, in other words, like, let's say in the winter, we're going to need a lot more solar panels, because it's not going to be as sunny. So if you plan for that, you're going to overbuild for the rest of the time, and you're going to effectively need a lot more power. So we have to find ways to bring all this online, as quickly as possible especially to meet meet the goals of what we have for the for meeting the the, you know 1.5 degrees celsius or or even two degrees celsius warming we want to we don't want to go past that so if we can if we can start monetizing them early then that power will be there it'll be ready when we need it when it's when the grid is ready for it so i think that is really fantastic so it's not just that we're doing this to be able to mine with bitcoin we're also doing it to help the grid itself when it's ready for this extra power.
0: So I've, I've got a quick question here, um, given that uh, you guys obviously deal with uh, the same as every other Bitcoin or a ton of FUD in and around it, in particular around mining. Um, and, and so we're talking about being, oh, we're building uh, facilities that are basically entirely off the grid and and recently, we, we saw a whole new round of FUD brought up by uh, uh, Chris Larson, uh, um, the co-fo- co-founder of, of Ripple uh, in, in uh, I guess, in, in he's together with Greenpeace and they're funding a $5 million initiative to change Bitcoin, which clearly is not going to happen. But in one of the interviews that I, I, I saw with him, uh, they were talking about renewables and everything. And he said, oh, I, th- I think it's great that people are doing that. But then he went on to say something to the, fact, the effect of even if Bitcoin was 100% renewables, it wouldn't be enough because of the opportunity cost of what that energy could be used for. So to, to, to the layman watching this that may be unfamiliar, um, he's basically saying that that energy could be used for better purposes other than useless Bitcoin mining, um, I'll, I'll let anybody jump in here. But what what would be your typical response to something in and around the the idea of opportunity cost? Of oh well, you know, it's sure it's great that it's green energy, but couldn't that be used for something better? Um, what would you yeah. say?
2: Yeah, so it's really interesting. I saw someone in the climate change renewable energy space on Twitter recently. Actually, maybe it was today they were saying they were talking about direct air capture and they were they were like well i mean this is important but would it be better if that renewable power that's powering this direct air capture facility, would have been better if that had been on the grid than powering this in terms of decarbonization. And I think a lot of people just don't understand how an electrical grid works when you have have a high penetration of renewable energy. And they think it's an either or, they think 100% of that power is being put towards some use when the reality is that a high percentage of that is curtailed, in other words, it's it's wasted. And so much of mining is, is tied to eating up that wasted energy, or it's tied to balancing the grid, depending on where those miners are located. So it's actually providing uh, a a valuable uh, resource to this whole renewable energy grid that otherwise wouldn't be there. And, and there's, you know, Sean can talk about this, like tell you about negative pricing problems and how that affects everything with the electrical grid as well. And so I think really it just comes down to people really don't understand how their electricity works, like how it got to them, how that power plant got onto these trans- got connected to these transmission lines, how much of that energy is wasted. Uh, if they understood that, I think that they would have a different perspective. And and even if they, I don't know, even if they're like, okay, great, but Bitcoin is still a waste. I mean, it's valuable to some to uh, you know millions of people. So therefore, it's not. It really isn't. It isn't a waste because a, a lot of people find value in it some people find value in playing video games you know it just really depends on on what you care about
0: troy cross just jumped into the chat and he wanted to let you know that every hash that doesn't mine a block is wasted <laughs> what a troll <laughs> good to see you, Troy. <laughs> sean did you want to tag on anything that margot yeah
3: <clears throat> so I can understand how, you know, Chris Larson's the world, there's many, right? Cause energy markets are very complex, right? And so somebody that understands kind of like uh, hydro versus kind of oil versus gas versus electricity, like they're, they're, there's upstream, downstream, midstream all the way through. And so like, it, they're very complex. And so it's, I think it's a common to think that, you know energy scarcity is applicable across the board. And the example being is that um, oil scarcity Oil is easy to transport from one place to another. So if you're choosing to go here versus there, you're choosing A or B, right? You're not dumping the oil out and saying it was a waste, right? And so that's the kind of the easiest flow of energy. And, you know, the next difficult would be um, like natural gas. So natural gas requires pipelines. And so there are certain regions that are constrained where there's too much natural gas and they actually have to shut their wells in. They're not wasting the natural gas. They're just shutting it in because they can't actually move the gas through a pipeline. Power markets are different. So essentially what means is that your supply and demand have to always match exactly. And so you're more constrained because you have now wires that are connecting each of those locations. They're not like big pipelines taking the major areas. And so now you can think about like West Texas, where there's this massive resource there. And it's really, it's a Saudi Arabia of renewables, right? Because you have some of the best sun quality and the best wind speeds, but you don't have demand there, right? So it's very kind of a low demand area and there's not enough transmission lines that go across. And so year to date in Texas, um 20% of the hours have been negative. And so what that means is a grid operator will look to curtail energy by sending a price signal that's low enough that'll force that uh, that, that producer to turn offline and disconnect from the grid, right? And so like, you know, the choice of, you know, we talked about like oil is saying, you know, it's A or B, right? It's, you go here, or go there. Pipeline, it's kind of like A or B or kind of shut in. And in power markets, it's like A or B or curtail, right? And it's you know that's the choice that's happening in West Texas, right? It's not saying, you know, should we go to the miners or we should go to some load. It's saying the load's taken all they got, and there's nobody else that wants it. We need to curtail it, right? So there's no choice. So that's, you know, I would say that for the Chris Larson of the world is, it is understandable and it's it's easy to apply the broad brush of kind of general commodities across all kind of commodities, but power markets are very different. They're very kind of location driven, and especially now with renewables, where wind and solar are at a cost that are lower. Than fossil fuels, which, which happened in the last like you know, five, 10 years, you know, essentially it's the cheapest resource on the planet and there's too much of it and they can't get enough of it into the areas. So they need to waste it. And so mining allows you to kind of co-locate into these areas that allows, as Margo said, instead of kind of you know chicken or egg, you know, build the transmission wires or build this facility, it's like do both, right? And then actually have the load there, build the wires, and then you now you have this option that you can then connect that power to to other customers. So that's kind of what I what I add on top of that.
0: Do you think uh, moving out from here as Bitcoin becomes or Bitcoin mining becomes more ubiquitous um, around the globe and in, in these areas, do you think we'll see much more robust um, energy systems in that uh, you don't have issues like Texas had uh, with their blackout slum and uh, the storm that went through there? When was that last year? Um mm-hmm. Uh, do you think we'll see more robust grids where they're not as susceptible to to major problems like that?
3: So I think there's a there's a few things. It's like, you know, one is that you know mining provides a flexibility to the grid for managing some of these kind of you know black swan events. And I would say that winter storm Yuri was the black swan of black swans. Like it wasn't just kind of like uh you know, we under forecasted by 10%. It was, you know, 30, 40 percent. It was just massive. So Bitcoin mining would not have solved that, <laughs> right? There's there's so many issues uh, that went on. Um but mining is now allowing these grids to have flexibility for, you know, managing as we're making this transition from a current energy mix to, you know, call it 24-7 green energy is it's the bridge that lets you get there. But I think even more is that like, um, currently there's is, there is there's no global price of energy, right? You can't go to some, you know, proverbial village in Africa and put some type of wind turbine in some place and be able to monetize that generation. You need to have some type of customer agreement with some offtake or, or something or some wires And so now for the first time in in the history of the world is you now have this floor price for energy, right? Which is profound, right? It's saying, you know, you can have a wind turbine that you connect anywhere and you kind of put on some miners attached to that wind turbine and you're connected to the Bitcoin network. And right now an S9 will make, you know, $90 per megawatt and S19 will make 220. The wind turbine has, you know, it oscillates, you call it 33% capacity factor, which means that over the course of a year, hundred megawatt wind Farm will only generate on average 33 megawatts, but if you have a low-cost miner, right, that didn't cost you a whole bunch of capex that you need to recover, you know, you can actually oscillate that and essentially monetize that resource. So it, it's really, you know, quite profound when you step back and say this is a floor price of energy that anybody around the world can tap into. And you know, my belief is that, you know, Bitcoin right now is the, the buyer first resort because it get paid so well for it. And um, but in this future, as we transition from say 15 gigawatts. Um, Alberta is 10 gigawatts for power generation, uh, average in, in Texas, 45. And so the Bitcoin network is about 15 gigawatts. As we transition from 15 gigawatts today to something like 200, 300, 400 in the future, it's likely that renewables are gonna be operating that you know system because it's gonna be the lowest cost energy. It's always the buyer of last resort. That you can either drop it off in the Bitcoin network or you can inject in the power grid if it if it's paying you more than this kind of base level of money. So it's just a kind of a profound thought on what you can enable. <clears throat>
0: Very interesting. Awesome. Well, I think I'm going to start, I think I'm going to start wrapping us here and I'm going to, what What I'd like to do, um, this has been a great conversation, by the way, is uh, I'm, I'm going to do a round of, um, we'll, we'll do a mix of any final thoughts you guys may have, uh, but also I'm going to challenge you guys to recommend a, a resource, a Bitcoin related or, uh tangential tangential uh, losing my words now anyways uh any topic that you think may relate uh to to bitcoin anything that you may think people will find useful um a resource for them whether it be a, a video a book an article something you found interesting um i am going to do i have the book with me right now I don't know if I do. Um, I'm going to recommend a book from a guy that was down at uh, Bitcoin 2022. I met him the previous year. And actually, I guess this ties into my original topic. So we're coming full circle. Uh, I met this guy as I was walking around at Bitcoin 2021. He came up to me and he said, hey, man, I just I just wrote a book on Bitcoin. Could you check it out? So I bought it on the spot right there on, on Amazon and it arrived when I got home and I read it. It's probably one of the best damn books I've read on Bitcoin ever. Uh, It was incredibly fleshed out. It goes through monetary history really well. It spends a lot of time on the current monetary system. It dives into the why of Bitcoin, but also a lot of the how of Bitcoin, the nitty gritty of how it actually works. Um, Very, very detailed, very in-depth and uh, a great read. And he spices it up with uh, alternating quotes uh, between Mike Tyson and Kanye West, <laughs> in between each chapter, uh, and the book is called "The Seventh Property." And it's by Eric Yakes, Y A K E S. If you haven't read it, I would say it's it's a more in depth version of the the Bitcoin standard, uh, with um, less political divisiveness, perhaps. Uh, but it's a solid read. So I would recommend the seventh property again by Eric Yakes, uh, but I'm, I'm all it there. Um, and we'll go around the circle. I'm going to go to Sean first. Uh, any final thoughts sure, about buddy. anything that was said today? And if you want to point people <clears throat> towards any piece of content,
3: uh, final thoughts kind of ties in with what Mark was saying earlier, just about, you know, it's pretty awesome that you can now start to have these conversations and, you know, thank you for inviting us on the show to kind of share these and, it's like it reminds me back when you know I've, I first got into to Bitcoin 2017, and I was just I was trying to find podcasts that had come kind of good content and education that I could kind of learn about it, and it was, it was challenging. And so now it's, it's it's fun to kind of see you know people come in the space and people that have thought long and hard about these kind of um, uh, about kind of the Bitcoin topics and kind of you know that thought exercise. And so it's, you know, final thoughts is just that you know it's it's great to see more and more of these conversations and more people from different industries. Mm-hmm. Uh, that brain drain that you're talking about in the space um for a book uh a, ref- a source is that um so i just grabbed behind me a, there's a book that's essentially like the the sapiens that was like noah harari of power grids right and it's called the grid right and it's by uh, gretchen back and uh and it's a it does a great job of kind of giving the history of you know why we're uh why how were power markets formed? You know how would the creation of electricity around the turn of the 20th century. How did they evolve, and how did we get this kind of, you know, tangled mess that we have today? That's different regulations, different market designs, but it's it's all the story, right? Kind of like the the human evolution of kind of cultures into why we got here. And so to really help understand, you know, it's a kind of that you know, Bitcoin got us into understanding money, and you know, Bitcoin has you know gotten me down that rabbit hole, and also made me go into Things I've never done in the past is just really understanding, you know, energy and electricity and the history of understanding how we got here, what's the problem, and what are we truly solving? Um, so the the read that's enjoyable for all audiences, not just kind of technical people and power systems, is uh, yeah, The Grid by uh, Gretchen Back.
0: Troy agrees, he said it was one of his good reads that he just finished, so yeah, check it out. Nice, uh. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. Let's uh, let's round it over to Mark. Uh, any final thoughts on today, and a resource that you'd like to recommend?
1: Final thoughts are to continue to encourage people to engage uh, with each other face to face in settings like this um, or spaces. At the very least, I, it, it's night and day between experiencing Bitcoin Twitter and experiencing. This and experiencing the spaces, uh, or let alone hosting a podcast where you get to talk to somebody one on one, and and hash out these ideas and really get into the nitty gritty. And it removes all of that bullshit uh, that you can experience uh, within Twitter and the the negativity and, and hostile nature. And so, whether you're into Bitcoin or not, uh, I think the encouraging each other to uh, have those face to face conversations. Uh, is, is my recommendation, my final thought resources. Um, one of the things that I studied uh, during this process is, is complex systems. I don't understand the mathematics of it, but Jeffrey West's books uh, were a very um, formative uh, reads for me. Um, I forget the title of the one. Um, it was his latest, but... Um, the understanding of complex systems and how um, really led me to better understand that the our kind of more central authorities trying to manage uh, these more complex uh, elements of our lives is is quite challenging, and you know, we need a new way of approaching problems and systems thinking uh, than our current situation. Um, in addition. I would plug uh, anything that Margo's done with regard to uh, her podcasts and uh, obviously the, the, the conference interviews. And then I, I stopped bookmarking Sean's tweets because there's just too many. Uh, he puts out evergreen uh, tweets every single time uh, from the energy standpoint. And lastly, I, I'll plug the Bitcoin FAQ uh, that I did with Bradley Rettler. It's 48 pages uh, of near of 29 questions where we uh, tackle all the the challenging ones that we're familiar with. And it, so it's definitely one uh, to share with family and friends who may be still a little uh, curious about Bitcoin.
0: Awesome. That's great. All right. Let's uh, toss it to Margo. Uh, final thoughts and well,
2: recommendations. I'm, yeah, I'm going to jump on Mark's bullishness over diversity by recommending bitcoinladies.org they're doing a lot in the space to bring more women into it and i think it's really important because actually in finance in general women are very much underrepresented. and i i'm really impressed by what they're doing they've gone funding for their work and they actually have grants and i think if i recall correctly they they are funding one of the the open source developers so i think I think this is a really exciting uh, platform that's just getting started. And I really look forward to seeing how it develops over the next year or so. And And I'm hoping that it really does bring in more women into the space and get them excited about Bitcoin and, and why it matters to them, because women in general have uh, much more layers to get than men do in general when it comes to economics and finance and investment. So to me, I, I think it's really important what they're doing. So great job, ladies. <laughs> awesome.
0: I love that. All right. Well, uh, this has been great. I again, really appreciate all of your time. Uh, had a lot of fun with this conversation. And it's again, it's good to have a variety of different voices uh, on on the panels every friday so uh again thank you guys all for spending the time here you're all welcome back anytime thank you this was great thanks for having thanks. us man
2: thanks a lot this was fun
0: no problem awesome so i i'm gonna kill your audio video now but again thank you guys very much and uh, i'll chat to you soon all right. all right everybody thank you so much for joining me on this friday for why are we bullish uh, really enjoyed the panel again, all of their Twitter handles are in the show notes down below. So be sure to go and follow them and, uh, and, uh, get a variety of opinions in your Twitter feed. Um, really enjoyed it again. Uh, you guys can check them out, give them a follow. Of course, um, we do this every Friday, so make sure you make your way back here, David. It was great to see you. Thank you for being here as well. Uh, and, uh, everybody else in the chat. Uh, Really great to have you here. Of course, uh, if you want to help out the show, like, subscribe, share, all those things, super important. They really do help, and they get this in front of more eyeballs. If you want to help the show in another way, you can hit up the previously mentioned sponsors down below. ShakePay, Leaden, BitRefill, Keystone, Bill Foddle. they're all down there. And if you really liked what you saw, you can always drop me a Bitcoin tip at my strike page or on Twitter, whichever you prefer. Uh, You just head to strike, though. Strike.me slash BTC Sessions. Type in any amount you like. When you hit the tip button, you'll be greeted with a lightning invoice or if you tap to the right, a regular Bitcoin QR code. With that, I am out. Have yourselves a wonderful day or evening, wherever you may be. See you guys next time for your daily session.
2: Model red Bitcoin